My name is Callie. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 51, 1 through 2 and 7. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Lore. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 6, 1 through 4. So what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Matthew. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, risen King Jesus. We're gathered here by you in your name, in your presence, to hear your words. And so we ask that as your followers, as your people, that you would speak to us. Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to perceive what you're doing in our world? That you would give us hearts that would be receptive to all that you'd have to say to us. Speak to us, help us, comfort us, guide us, direct us. We are here for you. So help us, we pray, in your name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to everybody watching online. We love you. We miss you. Happy Easter once more. He is risen. And happy Baptism Sunday. I love being able to have these moments together where we get to celebrate what God is doing in one another's lives. Uh, I was baptized uh, during my senior year in high school. Here's a picture uh, of me at a church in Clear Lake, Iowa. Uh, I shaved my head like down, you know, like took one of those and went really low uh, right before senior pictures my senior year, um, which was a real gift to my mom. Uh, to have that. So I've got, and then I bleached it. So that's why my hair kind of looks the way that it does. Uh, I'm a senior in high school here. I think I took off the, the chain on my wallet and checkbook uh, before I got into the baptism tanks. I was really into Christian punk rock at the time, uh, trying to like, uh, probably wearing an MXPX shirt, I think, as I'm going uh, into the water. My friends were in the Christian punk group and I couldn't sing or play any instruments. So I was the roadie. Uh, and the merch guy, I got to, you know, sell their Fillmore t-shirts that we ironed on letters and uh, went from there. But this is a moment for me where I came to Christ at the end of uh, my sophomore year. 
uh, got involved in this church a couple towns away from where I grew up, the end of my junior year, and then senior year was baptized. And this picture reminds me of that's Pastor Dave there and uh, some of the people in this community who, here I come as a teenager whose life was really unraveling, who had really no uh, deep understanding of scripture or the gospel or faith or life in church. And, you know, just finding like Jesus coming and meeting me in the midst of some of my deepest and darkest moments and despair in life and rescuing me and then connecting me to this people who were so excited to have a teenager coming and, and joining them in the midst. I remember the incredible welcome that that community showed me and the, the grace and mercy and encouragement and support, the way that they surrounded me uh, that toward the end of high school and even as I was still processing through uh, all that happened to me. So in many ways, this is a picture that represents for me all that God had din, done in that season of bringing new life to me uh, in some profound ways. Uh, but the picture also reminds me of two other things that I wasn't fully aware of in this moment. One is I uh, committed a uh, teenage sin and did not tell my mom I was doing this. Mom, if you're watching again, once more, I am so sorry. Uh, in my mind, this was, uh, Jesus had done something in my life that was different than what was going on in my family. And so I went to the waters of baptism. My mom found out later from a friend, uh, which was a terrible sort of moment. And then in those conversations afterwards, I realized that I had unknowingly stumbled into some like really significant theological issues in the church uh, because this wasn't my first baptism. I'm a double dipper. Uh, the, the, the first time I was baptized was as an infant in a Lutheran church. So here my family had these, you know, kind of connections historically with church. And one of the things that my family did was, hey, when you have a child, you come to the Lutheran church, you have them baptized, and here are their godparents. And that was a part of my story. And I didn't even really know it. I think I'd probably heard that that had happened, but it was not something that I was fully aware of. And so not only did I not invite my mom, but I was really ill-equipped to have any conversations about the different ways that the church thinks about baptism. After the service in the 9 a.m., I talked to people who've been dunked three times. Uh, they were infant baptized, believers baptism, and then Jordan River baptized. Uh, from there, other people, they were like they grew up in a Baptist background. And so every time they came to the altar, they got baptized again. And other people whose families really talked to them about infant baptism, and that's the one baptism that they've experienced. Experience. Others, the one baptism they've experienced has been believer's baptism. And there's all of these kind of conversations that swirl around the church. And so this picture is this reminder to me of all that God was doing and all that I was completely unaware of <laughs> at the time. Uh, but since the very beginning, the church has practiced this act of baptizing people. This sacrament or this practice marks the, really the entrance into faith and the entrance into the church. Nearly every denomination or every Christian movement, every tradition observes baptism in some way. The Quakers and Salvation Army are two that don't. But nearly every other group practices this. And so it is a central and unifying practice for the church. And also it's been a very divisive issue amongst the church. The Christians disagree about who should be baptized. Some say infants. Some say children once they reach a certain age. Some say adults only. 
Other people disagree on when people should they be, be baptized. Should they be baptized the moment that they place their faith and trust in Jesus or as soon as possible? Others would say, no, it should happen after a period of instruction. There's debates on how to baptize. Should we sprinkle water or should we immerse people as we just did? There's conversations about, well, what happens in baptism? Does something actually happen when we go in the waters? Or is it just a symbol of something that has already happened? And we're recognizing that in front of other people. And then there's conversations about how often. Is it one time? Is it repeatable? Should you double dip or triple dip or quadruple dip? Like, what? how does this all work out? And each of those traditions, each of them, in their best articulation, in their best version of their theology and their history and their explanation, each of them is beautiful in their own right. Each of them has a long history. Each of them has a deep and rich theology. Each of them have scriptures that have informed how they landed at this particular practice. And over the course of the years, what I've come to embrace is the beauty of that diversity and the ways in which I can learn from each of these traditions and help inform even the way that I think about baptism today. Here at New Life, we practice believer's baptism, as you just saw. We baptize uh, kids and adults, usually kids over five, and adults who've confessed their faith in Jesus. For kids, we do that in conversation and discernment with their parents, and we do a full water immersion right here in a high school orchestra pit. Um, other congregations, you know, have a different setup than what we've got today. Uh, but what I want to focus on while we have this opportunity is for us to reflect together biblically and theologically about what do we believe about this. So regardless of all the differences in practices and those things, which are important conversations, I want us to focus on what do we believe about the waters of baptism. So baptism, like so many of our practices, is actually rooted in the Old Testament, that we find its origin story way back in Old Testament and the practice of ceremonial washing. If you've read through portions of the Old Testament, you find that people are washing themselves or washing things a lot. At Mount Sinai, God tells the Israelites to wash themselves before the covenant ceremony, before he makes covenant with them. Priests are washing themselves before they enter the tabernacle or the temple, and they're washing all kinds of things associated with the sacrificial system. In Leviticus and some of the other books, we see a lot of washing happening, and it's connected to the idea of being clean. But for them, it's not about hygiene. We're not reading this and going, oh, look at them, pre-pandemic, making sure they wash their hands a lot. Of times, oh, they're such front runners. There was certainly hygienic benefits to all of that, but for them, it was about purity. It was about being in relationship with the whole and holy God and recognizing their own desires to be in relationship with him. And God gave them these practices to help enter into worship and to mark off their own holiness or to recognize their own grief and loss in their lives and coming back out of those places into community engagement and joy. So we find this all around the Old Testament. And then in between the Testaments, Jews began to fully immerse themselves in water as a sign of repentance and a recognition of their need for forgiveness. They would even begin to build little pools around places. So at the temple, if you ever get a chance to visit in, in Jerusalem, there are uh, baths that they've uncovered, mikvahs, where people would go and immerse themselves and wash before they came into worship. So John the Baptist in the first century starts picking up 
up on this idea. And he begins to proclaim a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And he's calling people out to the Jordan River and baptizing them as a way to prepare their hearts for what's to come, for Jesus. And Jesus himself is baptized, goes out into the wilderness to be baptized by John. It's that beautiful scene of the heavens opening, the dove descending, and the Father speaking over the Son. And then from there we find the whole tradition growing up. Jesus telling us to be baptized, baptizing as a way of discipleship making and discipleship process, the early church baptizing. And within the first few centuries, then the church is giving all kinds of thoughts to this in the New Testament and later documents. The church in the Greek-speaking East refers to baptism as a mystery. They, the way that they talk about baptism in Eucharist and other places is that this is a mystery, not in the Sherlock or Enola Holmes kind of way of like, ah, oh, this is kind of a puzzle, we got to figure out who done it. But more in the sense of the way Paul says that God has made known to us the mystery of our faith that has set before all time to put all things together inside of Jesus. He's making known to us the mystery of his will. So they look at baptism and they say, hey, baptism is a mystery. Somehow, in some way, this reveals God's will. This reveals God's work. This reveals God's character. It tells God's story and ushers us into it. In the Latin-speaking West, they typically refer to baptism as a sacrament. Coming out of their own culture in the West, where in the Roman Empire, those who are taking up government, official, uh, government offices, or particularly those in the military, would take a sacramentum. It was in pledge of allegiance. It was an oath saying, I identify myself with Caesar and the Roman Empire, and I pledge to give my life to Caesar and the Roman Empire. And the early Christians were like, ah, you think that guy's the king. He's nuts. So they used that language and said, there's a true king. His name is Jesus. And we're inviting you to pledge your allegiance to him to receive these sacraments, to make these oaths. And even in those conversations, begin to get a sense for some of the tensions that develop in baptism. One of the main tensions that develops is who's the one who's primarily at work here? Is baptism primarily about God? in God's work, or is it primarily about the person who's being baptized and their pledge, their oath? Is baptism more about God or is it more about us? Is it more of a celebration or is it an act of commitment? Is it participation in some mysterious way in the grace of God or is a pledge made publicly in front of other professing believers? And as so often as we wrestle with those questions, the answer is, yeah. Yes, it is in some way both of those things. That there is this unique and beautiful uh, array of images and thoughts and ideas of, that are happening in and through baptism. And yet, I do think it's a yes, but. A yes, but baptism is more about Jesus than it is about us. Our tendency is to want to make all these things about what we're doing 
But the invitation of the Christian faith is to recognize all that God is doing and to sort of join in to what it is that God is doing in the world. Baptism is an act of obedience following the way of Jesus. It is a public declaration of faith. It does have all of those connections to it, but it is even more so a means of God's grace in our lives. It's a gift that God has given to us to communicate his grace, his love, his mercy to us. Baptism actually immerses us in the grace and the goodness of God. That what we just witnessed was people being immersed, not just in water, but in the goodness and the grace of God. This is why the New Testament associates baptism over and over again with forgiveness and with salvation. On the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit came to the church, Peter preaches to this whole crowd, and they hear the gospel message about the resurrection of Jesus, and they're like, whoa, very Keanu Reeves-like. I think that's where he was inspired, was by the early church, and he's just been repeating that shtick for 40 years. Um, but they're, 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 and they're like, wait, what has happened? Jesus has been raised? We want in on this. What should we do? How do we respond? And Peter says, change your hearts and lives. He says, repent, turn around, stop living the way that you're living, and instead be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We know it's not the water that forgives us. It's Jesus that forgives us. But baptism enacts and actualizes his forgiveness in our lives. Jesus uses these waters to communicate and impart his grace to us. Baptism immerses us in the grace of God. And when we come up out of the waters, we're living our whole lives then immersed in God's grace. Peter later on will actually connect baptism to Noah's Ark. In one of his letters start to make this connection, which seems kind of strange to us. Like, how are you connecting these things? But as the New Testament writers are thinking back about the way that God has worked in history, the way that he's brought salvation to his people, they began to recognize a pattern that God was consistently bringing his people through the chaotic waters of death into a new world, into a new way of life. They looked back on creation and saw that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep, and God spoke, and land appeared, and life came out of that. That through the waters, all of creation came into being. That in Noah's Ark, God is saving creation, saving his people and his creation through the chaotic waters via the ark. At the exodus, God parts the chaotic waters of the Red Sea and leads his people into a new life with him. As they're getting ready to come into the promised land, he does the same thing. He parts the Jordan River and they walk into a new world. And so Peter says this. He says, Noah built an ark, which a few, that's eight, uh, lives were rescued through water. And then he says, baptisms like that. It saves you now, not because it removes dirt from your body, but because it marks a good conscience toward God. Your salvation comes through 
the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, it's not the waters of baptism that saves us. Jesus saves us, but baptism, or Jesus uses baptism to enact and to actualize that salvation in our lives, to connect us to all it is that God has done. Peter specifically associates baptism and salvation with resurrection, that somehow this is related to that. The waters of baptism are related to the resurrection of Jesus and the salvation that comes to us. Our salvation comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we embody that in baptism. We embody that reality. Paul puts it this way. He says, Therefore we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in the newness of life. See, baptism doesn't just immerse us in the grace of God. It actually includes us in the story of Jesus. Baptism includes us in Jesus' story. We go under the water and we're joined with Jesus in his death and his burial. We come up out of the water and we're joined with Jesus in his resurrection. We're included in his victory over evil and sin and death. And then we walk out of the water, joined with Jesus in his new creation. At Pentecost, Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So you may have noticed as people are coming out of the water, Pastor Jay or whoever was, uh, else was down here was taking anointing oil and putting oil as a sign of the Spirit's work in their lives. And we were saying, be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptism's connected to the presence and power of the Spirit of God in our lives. That we know that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in each of us, bringing us new life. We're empowered by the Spirit, to walk in a new way, to join Jesus in following him into new life, into new creation. And the truth is, we spend our whole lives living into our baptism. That what happens here is so profound. It represents so much, and God is doing so much through the Spirit, that we then spend the rest of our lives learning about that living into it, growing up into what has actually happened. Our Presbyterian friends in their funeral services will say that in so-and-so's death, he or she has completed their baptism. They've completed it. They baptize as infants, and they look at their whole life and say, from that moment till this moment, they've been living out the reality and identity of their baptism. Because at baptism, we are given a new life. We're given a new name. We're given a new identity. And we spend our whole lives living into that. Another way to put it would be to say that baptism actually fully identifies us with Jesus. It identifies us with him. It includes us in his story and identifies us as his. We're baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a way of God saying, I'm putting my name on you. Paul says it this way in Galatians, All of you who were baptized into Christ have now clothed yourselves with Christ. In the waters of baptism, God places his name on us. 
If you've been baptized, God's name has been placed on you, which is really significant if we think about that. Many of us spend our lives dealing with various emotions or feelings or experiences of being unwanted, being unwelcomed, feeling unloved. Some of us experience that from our families of origin, a profound sense of rejection, profound sense that we don't fit or that we don't belong. And then we spend our lives sort of looking at other relationships, whether in dating relationships or in marriage or uh, in friendship groups and elsewhere, just saying, where do I fit? Where do I belong? Who, who, who will welcome me? Who will accept me? Who will embrace me? Who are my people? And wondering, where do we find this kind of thing? And what Jesus says to all of us is like, you find it here. I want you. I accept you. I embrace you. I claim you as my own. I want to put my name on you and include you in my family. This is one of the ways that Jesus is showing us just how great his love is for us. And then we're growing up into that. We're trying to learn how to live that out. The image that comes to my mind sometimes, if you've ever seen like a little kid in a backyard or a playground that puts on the jersey of their favorite player, Right, So in Colorado, maybe if you grew up here, you used to put on a John Elway jersey or maybe a Peyton Manning jersey. I don't know if anybody does this with Russell Wilson yet, but maybe this next year will be hope. I, I'm, not, I'm not as confident as you Bronco fans are, but maybe. But there's a sense like when you put on that jersey that you see the little kid like out there in the backyard and it's like, I am Peyton Manning. And they start running around. Well, they're not really Peyton at that point then because that guy didn't run, right? He's like just stood in through. He hadn't run since Tennessee, you guys. Like this, it's calmed down a little bit. But there's a sense like this is who I am. And then I start living into that. And there's a playfulness about that. But I think it gives us a little bit of an image. We're now God's kids, we're now in Christ. We've been clothed with him. And we spend our whole lives saying, okay, now how do I live my life like Jesus would? How do I throw a ball like Peyton? How do I live like Jesus? We're clothed with him. We're living in to that new identity that we've been given. Some of us spend so much time wondering, like, who am I? Well, who, who am I really? And have all kinds of challenges wondering who we are. And the baptism waters tell us who we are. We are the beloved daughters and sons of the Most High King. That's who we are. We are God's kids. We are his. We're accepted and redeemed and restored and given new power to live in a new way. And we're not alone in this. We live in a hyper-individualized culture. So sometimes we want to make baptism more about us than about God. And correspondingly, we want to make, or, or correspondingly, we'll make baptism about me and Jesus. Like baptism's just about me and Jesus and, and us doing our thing. And, you know, just that's all that it's about. But in the New Testament, whenever someone's baptized, they're baptized into community. <laughs> baptism is about Jesus and it's about the church, it's not both those things. When Peter preached that message, 3,000 people were baptized. It says they were added to their number. 
They were added to the family. Today across New Life, we're baptizing over 300 people across our eight congregations who are coming into our family at our different congregations. 1 Corinthians puts it this way. Paul says, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. It's Paul's way of saying everyone who is baptized is united by the spirit into one body, into one family, regardless of our previous state or our previous identity. Black, white, brown, male, female, rich, poor, white collar, blue collar, no collar, Republican, Democrat, whatever you want to go, all of that gets buried under the waters. It says, you know what the most important thing about any of us is? That we are the rescued and adopted sons and daughters of God. And because of that, we are now all family with each other. (laughs) Baptism actually incorporates us into the people of God. This is what it does. When you're physically born, you're born into a family. When you're spiritually reborn, you're born into a new family. A local, global, and historic one. But in baptism, we recognize that we now belong to God and to one another. God is our Father, and we are one another's brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, and we're all related. So look around for just a second. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is your family. This is why we do things like Greek time. So we're like, why do we do that in the middle of service? Can you imagine going to a family reunion and no one talked to each other? Some of us can. Some of us are like, yeah, that's my family reunion experience. <laughs> like, there's this group over here and this group over here, and we're just like, can this be over? But here, it actually matters that we greet one another. It actually matters that we get to know one another's names. When we say, hey, if you don't have plans after service, please take someone out to lunch or to coffee, it matters because we're related to one another in Jesus, and we're trying to learn how to do that, which means that we actually have to know one another. And the hope is in all of those moments here at greet time, in the lobby, at meal group, on teams, in our courses, is that you begin to build community and connections with your family. And that becomes actually a network of discipleship and care that happens. So maybe you're sitting here and greet time comes and you go, oh, wait a minute, I don't see Bill today. I wonder where Bill is. And then you send Bill a text message tomorrow and say, hey, Bill, I missed you at church today. I was praying for you. Is everything okay? Or maybe you're in your meal group or your course and you notice, oh, I didn't see Deborah today. I hope Deborah's all right. I'm going to pray for Deborah right now. We're going to look for her next Sunday. Okay, she wasn't there. I'm going to call Deborah and say, hey, Deborah, I missed you this week. Is everything okay? Do you need anything? How is life going? We want a place that we're known and that we can know other people, that we can be known and know and actually find the kind of community that recognizes when someone's not here. But that takes all of us doing that together and building that whole fabric of relationships and networks so that we can live into who we are. We're a new family. This is actually why baptism is typically done at church with one another. It's a communal act and a communal celebration. We don't baptize ourselves at home. That's not baptism. In the name of the Father, like, no, (laughs) that's a bath that you're like adding, you know, like religious language on top of. No, baptism is not something we do for ourselves, it's something we receive, right? Someone baptizes us, 
and we're brought into a family. It's not something we do ourselves. It's a communal celebration. And so today, I want to invite all of us back to the waters of baptism. If you've never been baptized, and you were here, and you were watching people get baptized, and you're like, oh, I forgot that was today. I would like to do that today. It's not too late. After the service, Pastor Evan and Emily will be here, and we can baptize you after the service. We'll invite people to stay and watch and celebrate with you. If you're going, oh, I don't have a change of clothes, good news, we have some for you. We've got towels, we've got a change of clothes. But if you're sitting here saying, yeah, but my mom doesn't know, wait till next time. Okay? Just call her and say, hey, this summer or this fall, I'm going to do it, Mom, and I'd love for you to, you know, watch online or to be there if you can from experience. Wait on that one. But you can come down afterwards or join us at one of our next baptisms that are coming up. But if you have been baptized, then I want to invite you to remember your baptism. This is a practice that we do every time that we baptize here at New Life Downtown. We have an opportunity for all of us to remember our baptism. None of us remember our physical birth. All of us are grateful that we don't remember our, our physical birth. And yet we celebrate it every year. Right? Some of you may have grown up in homes that you didn't get a chance to do. That's one of the things I love about royal family is they recognize not everybody had birthday parties. And so our royal family kids camp for kids in foster care throw birthday parties uh, for kids in foster care that have never had one. But for many of us, we got a birthday party every year. And it took the date that we were born and it filled it with all kinds of meaning and significance and joy. It's like, I'm 10 today. I'm 13 today. 16 today. And parents are like, ah! But we, we got to celebrate all of those moments together. Joanna just turned 75. 80. You're 75. 75 and 80. Just this, like, last month, celebrating those moments. Sorry, Joanna, you just look so much younger. We get to celebrate all those moments. It fills it up in the same way. That's what the idea of remembering our baptism is. It's that we remember, oh, this is true for me. I, I was under the waters of baptism, and now I'm learning and living into that. It's a way for us to come back and to, to remember our baptism and to look back and say, oh, it's been five years. For Brandon, it's been six months. You can look back and say, look at all that Jesus has done in my life between now and then. Look at what Jesus has done. Oh, yeah, I remember I remember, and we can mark it and say, I'm, I'm learning to live into my baptism. I'm learning who I am. I'm growing into the name of Jesus. I'm growing into my faith. Look at what he's done. And so during communion, we'll have three servers up front. And the uh, first server will have a bowl of water for you to take and put your fingers in and say, okay, I remember my baptism. And to make the sign of the cross on your forehead just as a way of, internalizing and remembering and saying, okay, this is true for me. To remember that you have been and you continue to be. Your whole life is immersed in the grace of God. It's a way to remember that you have been and you continue to be included in the very story of Jesus. It's a way to remember that you have been and you continue to be identified with and by Jesus. That he claims you as his own. It's a way to recognize and to remember that you have been and you continue to be incorporated into the great family of 
God. It's a way to recognize all that God has done and to celebrate. And so we invite you to do that today. Either come and join us right after the service, if you've never been baptized, or to place your hand in that water as you come forward to communion and say, oh yes, thank God that all of this is true of me. As the worship team and as Pastor Blake come forward, we come here now to the table. What's true of baptism is actually true of the Eucharist. That this is more about God than it is about us. And this is a way of recognizing and celebrating and receiving the grace of God in our lives. When we're born into a family, we're born physically in water. We're born out of water into this new family. And then we're sustained and nurtured through meals. It's the way that we grow. Same way is true for the church. We're born spiritually in and through the water. And we're sustained every week at the table. This is the nourishment that we receive from the grace of God. He continues to give himself to us and fill us with everything that we need for life and for godliness. So as you come to the table to remember your baptism and to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, I'm going to invite you to just take a moment and to pray. Maybe today what you're really needing Jesus to do is to remind you that you're not alone, that you're part of the family of God. And just ask him to do that. Would you remind me? Would you connect me? Would you help me to find community and to find friends? Maybe he's even challenging you to, you know, step out and to meet people and to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this because it's been hard. Maybe today you need to be reminded that your true identity, your truest identity rests in Jesus. That that's the most important thing about you, that you're his. Maybe today you're carrying guilt and shame and just feeling so overcome by the things that have happened in your past. And you need to be reminded of the grace and forgiveness and salvation of God. And ask him, like, as I receive today, as I remember baptism, would you remind me that you have washed me white as snow? That I have been forgiven. Would you teach me how to live into that? Maybe you're just at a stuck place in your faith and you need the spirit of God to come and and help you break through. And maybe it's a remembrance day that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life today. Say, Spirit of God, come and help. Whereas just ask Jesus today as we prepare our hearts to come to the table. Friends, we're reminded today that the very same one that we celebrated just last weekend, who was crucified, who died, who was buried, and who rose again is the same one who sets this table for us. This is Jesus' table. And what that means is that all who believe that Jesus is the true king of the world are welcome to receive, regardless of your church affiliation or your background. And if that doesn't describe you, we're so glad that you're here that you came to be a part of this day, of this service, to seek after this Jesus with us. We encourage you to keep coming, to keep asking questions, to stay on the journey, and we hope that you partner with us on that journey to see more about who Christ might be. And if you are willing to take a step toward Jesus today, I invite you to join us as we all confess our sin together, asking for Christ to forgive us, and as we placed our trust in him for our salvation. Would you join me in this prayer? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done 
and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And friends, it's my joy now to announce this good news to you. These words are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So would you open your hands and receive again the mercy of God that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. So the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. So as those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you stand and greet those around you in this very same peace that Christ has offered to you? Let's join together as we make this proclamation that Jesus is here and his spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Amen. Would we do that together? We praise you. Yes, sir. It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, for you formed us in your image and you breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. And it's in this story that we see the faithfulness of God, that on the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So as those who are part of the priesthood of all believers, would you stretch your hands out toward these elements with me or, or open them up as a way to invite the Holy Spirit to move in this place? So Father, Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Jesus, one with each other, 
and one in ministry to all the world until Jesus returns in final victory. Amen. At this time, I'll invite our servers forward. And friends, these are the gifts of God. They're given for us, the people of God. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, David. Receive them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. So if this is your first time with us, we invite you to scan this QR code to get acquainted with how we practice communion here at New Life Downtown, or you're welcome to just follow along with those around you. If you're unable to come forward, as we've mentioned, we're all part of a family together. So if you need help getting those elements back to you, just ask someone beside you that they would be part of your family and bring those elements back to you today. And as we mentioned, today being Water Baptism Sunday, there's a server at the, the front of each station who will offer you a bowl where you can dip your hands, make the sign of the cross on your forehead, and be reminded of your very own baptism. So let's worship together as we come to the table today.